many of you have either finished up exams or are going to be finishing them up soon. Your last papers are being written. You may have even decided you don't really need to do that last assignment. Anybody, anybody there right now? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. And some of you are graduating, which is bittersweet for us. Good for you. I'm sure it's bittersweet for you, too, uh, having to leave our ministry and, and your friends behind. But uh, on to bigger and better things. But even if you're not in college, there's at least one thing you get to look forward to over summer break. Lighter traffic in Lynchburg. Yes, and all the locals laugh. That's right. Well, today's our, our summer send-off. Uh, it's kind of one of the things we do at the very end of the semester is kind of try to prep you for summer in various ways. And this is always a tough message for me because it's just like, here's a vast ocean of things I could talk about and tell you. Um, so as I was thinking through, the, thinking through this week, uh, I just want to send you off with something that would be encouraging, uplifting, helpful. I want to talk about your prayer life. Yeah, that was, I'm serious. Uh, and I think it will be encouraging and uplifting, but uh, maybe for some of you it's encouraging. But I bet for most of you, uh, you're bracing for a little dose of conviction when we talk about prayer, which is the, the topic of our, of our lesson today. It's a, it's a challenge to pray. We'll, we'll look at that in a, in a moment. But here we are at the end of the semester, and you might be thinking, Clay, it's the end of the semester. Like, cut us a break. We're busy. Uh, we've got assignments to do. Prayer slipped off. Or maybe, if you're honest, you've never really had much of a prayer life at all. Uh, it's just stops and starts, fits and, or fits and starts. So today, just as we launch out into the summer, I really want us to be thinking about this topic of prayer because you will have more time over the summer to devote to things, to spiritual disciplines and things like that. But I want to talk this morning about really two, two aspects of prayer. First, where we often find ourselves in uh, seasons of prayerlessness and how to overcome that, kind of on the front end. And then I want to look at how the Lord has taught his own disciples to pray. Um, out of the Lord's Prayer. So, prayerlessness and how to overcome it will be the first half of the message. And then we want to look at how the Lord taught His own disciples to pray. And really, this, is, this message is born out of um, the last several months, I guess, in my life, where I just, the Lord has been working in my heart tremendously through the Lord's Prayer. And I was praying that this week, just again, and just thinking, man, how beneficial this is, how practical this is, and how, how sanctifying this is for me. And as you know, if you go back several weeks, we just finished a sanctification series, a series on how we grow in Christ. And I didn't even talk about prayer because we only had a limited amount of time. So this is kind of like a little addendum to the sanctification series, my chance to talk about another, another topic that's, uh, that's related. And just if you can prioritize anything this summer, one of those things I would really encourage you to prioritize is, is pattern prayer. And we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. So, I just want to get realistic for a moment and begin by talking about where we're often at. Uh, we're often prayerless, or, and I don't mean completely prayerless. I mean, we're, there are seasons where we, we go for, for a couple of days, maybe weeks, um, without really praying. 
And that's, that's a reality for a lot of us. Most of us have struggled with, or are currently struggling with, a praying consistently and meaningfully. And that's because, I mean, there's a myriad of reasons we could, we could troubleshoot with that, but, but that's because prayer is just really, it's pretty tough work. At least, sometimes, even the initial, initial getting to prayer. One really faithful pastor, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said that everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Everything that we do in the Christian life is easier than, than faith-filled prayer. And even the Apostle Paul seems to imply this when he, he tells us that we should continue steadfastly in prayer. That's Colossians 4.2, Romans 12.12. 12. Paul knew that there would probably be seasons when we would be tempted to pray periodically. That's the idea. Continue steadfastly in prayer. There would be seasons where we would be tempted to, to maybe give it up altogether because we're discouraged and uh, the trials of life, pressures of life have hit. And it's the exact opposite of what we need to do. We need to press into the Lord in those moments. So I just want to start here with this reality uh, as, a, as a backdoor kind of encouragement for you. Um, if, if prayer is a struggle, just know that you're with a bunch of other struggling saints that also work to prioritize prayer and often fail, myself included. So that kind of leads us to another question as we're, as we're thinking about overcoming prayerlessness. We need to think through why we, why we don't often pray. So why don't, we, why don't we often pray? Well, probably the most basic reason, or at least reason that we often give, that my heart likes to give, is what? Time, right? We don't have time to pray. It's hard for me to find time to pray. So that's often, that's often something that we, that we will say, or we'll, we'll, at least my heart will give us an excuse. No time to pray. Or we may, we may not have the adequate knowledge, we might think, well, Okay, I sit down to pray, but I don't really know how to pray or what to pray. I've been there before. We may lack a, a desire. Actually, I think I have some of these out here. Whoa, that's small. So why don't we pray? Lack of time, lack of knowledge, lack of desire. Uh, most times I don't really feel like praying. I'd rather do something else, right? But... I think all of these are, I think lack of desire may be legitimate. You may, it may be a very real description of your life. You may genuinely not desire to pray at times. You may lack knowledge. You may not understand what it, what it means to pray and, and how to pray like God would, would desire us to pray. You may not have time, you think. But I think all of these at, at its core, there's a, there's, a, there's a deeper root here. And I would, I would describe this as a lack of faith. Lack of faith or unbelief. So we, we believe certain things. So we, we don't pray fundamentally, not because we don't have time. You eat, right? You have time to eat. You know that you need eating. You have time to sleep, most of you. Uh, you prioritize that. So you make time for what you value. If you, if you felt like you lack knowledge about prayer, you'd go after it, Right? You'd want to acquire that knowledge. Okay, so we're going to get a discipler. We're going to get one of the pastors to come alongside me. We're going to get busy in the Word about what it means to pray and pray like Christ would have me pray. Uh, the lack of desire is a little bit, little bit 
kind of tied up in with lack of faith. But lack of faith, I think, is the core. It's really unbelief at the heart level, at least in my heart, whenever I trace it, when I trace it back into my heart. We're believing lies in the moment. We think things like, I don't, need to, I, don't, I don't really think I need to pray right now. Now, very few people would actually say that. But functionally, that's what's happening. I don't believe I need to pray in this moment. I'm okay without prayer. I am self-sufficient. It's another lie. It's operating at the baseline level. I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I possess the power to accomplish things that will last eternally. Inherently, I possess that kind of, that kind of power. So I don't, I don't need to ask anyone or anything for help in this. Et cetera, et cetera. Those are some examples I don't believe I need, need to pray. Or you might think something like, I don't believe that, God, that the God of heaven really hears or desires to answer my prayers. He's up there somewhere concerned with the bigger issues of the world. Or he's too busy hearing more godly people's prayers. My issues are too mundane. I'm too unsanctified, really, to, to have a meaningful prayer life. The God of heaven doesn't really hear or desire to answer me. Sometimes it's we... We ask God for things, and he doesn't grant those requests, and we believe, oh, well, he must not hear me. Or he must not, if he does hear me, he does not, must not care, doesn't want, to, doesn't want to answer. So at a baseline, that may be a lie under there that you're believing that's, that's causing some of this lack of desire to pray if you're a believer. If you're an unbeliever, you won't have any desires to pray. So if there's no prayer in your life, uh, let's talk. The answer isn't trying to pray and earn your way to heaven. It's come to know Christ in the gospel. So, but if you're a believer, um, there may be a lie that will hijack you and, and begin to produce this, this lack of desire to pray. And it might be that the God of heaven uh, doesn't hear you or desire to answer. It might be what you think. Another example lie here is, is I don't believe the work and discipline involved is worth it. Right? I don't believe the work involved in prayer, the discipline involved in prayer, what I've got to lose in order to pray, I don't think that's really worth it. Again, these are not things that we, will, that we will articulate out loud, but they are, the, they are the presuppositions of our heart. My life is going okay now, we think, and I don't really pray, pray that much. You know, five minutes a day, my life's going pretty good. My life would be a lot harder if I prayed more consistently. I'd have to give other things up. And I don't really think that's worth it. So again, the core of our prayerlessness as a believer is because lies have crept in and we've believed those lies. So as we're getting to, to overcoming prayerlessness and overcome it, we, we can't just sort of try to discipline ourselves to pray more because we're guilty and we know we need to pray more. We have to get at the, at the base of this and begin to think through the truth that's going to renovate our minds that will lead to, to that will strengthen our faith and lead to disciplined prayer. So. We need renovation of our minds with the truth, and particularly those truths that have implications for your prayer life, which are almost all the truths, you know, in Scripture. But there's some particular truths that I, that I was just thinking through this week that renovate our minds with, with implications toward prayer. Now, I didn't type these out on the outline, so if you want me to send these to you, I can. Because it was just kind of too much to too much to outline, but there's a lot of a lot of scripture references here, might be useful for you. 
So what are some examples of these truths? Well, if we were thinking about the lie, which is self-sufficiency and I don't really need to pray, the opposite is the truth is actually that without Christ, I'm in desperate need. Okay? I'm in desperate need. Without Christ, Jesus says himself in John 15 that I can't do anything, anything of eternal value, anything that will last. Without Christ, without his sustaining spirit in my life, I'm open season for temptation and sin. I mean, I'm just like a sitting duck waiting to be picked off from Satan. The classic example of this is when Jesus is in the garden and the Son of God himself Prays and he, and he tells the disciples, pray that you may not enter temptation. In other words, prayer is the avenue that, that is the, the channel for us to get strength from God to withstand temptation. They sleep, Jesus prays, the hour comes, Jesus stands resolute, and they all fall away. So that's a classic example. We are, we're sitting ducks, we are, we are exposed, or open season for temptation and sin. So that's reality. That's truth. Okay. Without Christ, we're in desperate, desperate need. And that that will confront that self-sufficiency lie in your heart. So you've got to load your mind up with that. Okay. That needs to be in your in your wheelhouse. That needs to be constantly before you each day. If you're struggling in prayer, that I can do nothing without him. But next, not only that, but but God is able to do surpassingly more than I could ever ask or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do far more than I could ever ask or imagine. So he has power and he is eager for me to pray so that he might bless me with fruit. He's eager for me to avail myself of this channel of prayer, to, to tap into his power, if you will. Which leads to the next truth that the way I access Christ and the Father is through prayer. He speaks to us through his word, through preaching, through the, through the corporate worship and private reading and meditation of, of his word. He speaks to us. But we, we channel, we speak back to God and we channel his power to our lives through prayer. Think about these, these I'm just going to give you a smattering of, of biblical principles here that kind of all fall under this heading. That we access Christ and his power through prayer. The book of Acts is so clear. God accomplishes his sovereign will through my prayers. Through our prayers as a church. God's sovereignly going to do this thing. He's, he's planned to do it. And the way that he's ordained to work that out is through us praying it, in, praying it to happen. That's part of his will. Christ desires and promises to work in me and others through my prayers. We see that the Apostle Paul is saying that over and over again. Romans 15, 30, 2 Corinthians 1, 11, Philippians 1, 19, Philemon 22. I mean, this is all over. And that's just a, that's just a smattering. He's constantly asking the church, pray for us that I might be delivered through your prayers. Um, he promises to bear much eternal fruit in life through prayer. John 15. Prayer advances God's mission. Colossians 4, Paul's saying, hey, pray for us that we would have an open door to share the gospel. Pray for us that we would be clear. Prayer is, is the way to advance. The, the mission of God goes forward on our knees, right? 
And it's, it's one vital way that we help others mature in the faith. Turn over just, just, just for quickness here. Colossians 4.12. I love this. Colossians 4.12. And we've we got to go quick through this because I can't take all my time just working through this here. We've got other stuff to talk about. So Colossians 4.12, look at what he says here about one of his faithful co-workers here. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. Notice how he's described. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He's praying them to maturity. Isn't that insane? I mean, it's not insane, but it's, it's, we don't often think in those terms that... My intercession for someone, whether they know it or not, is causing God to answer those prayers to grow them into maturity in a very real and powerful way. These are combating some lies in our hearts right now, isn't it? Like, okay, I don't really need prayer. Prayer is negotiable. No, it's not. This is the central aspect of, of how God desires to grow us and grow others. So anyway, I'll give you a few more here. God strengthens my faith through prayer. So if you've got weak faith, a great way to strengthen it is through praying to God. And you don't know what to pray, we'll talk about that in a minute, okay? Prayer will become a means of accessing Christ's joy. John fifteen eleven. Accessing God's peace over anxiety. Philippians 4. And accessing the ability to withstand temptation, like we just talked about, Luke 22. As God is strengthening your faith. That's what's happening. Through prayer. The scriptures say that God will reward us for secret prayer that no one else knows about except Him. Matthew 6. And that as we're pursuing the Lord and we're not harboring, you know, repetitive sin and unrepentance in our lives. Not that we're sinless, but we're harboring unrepentance. As long as we're not doing that, God's ears are open to our prayers. Meaning he hears every single one of them. He knows everything that we need and is desirous to bless and answer those prayers. So that's just a smattering of truth. Okay? Truth that supplants those lies that we just, that we just talked about. So there's more than that. That's just a, a, just a quick smattering to give you some examples. So what you need, if you, lack, if, you, if you want to overcome prayerlessness, you need to get to the root. Renovate your mind with the truth and then act on that truth. Act on it. Don't don't sort of say, okay, that was nice, and then kind of go about your day. Make an implementation plan where you're saying, okay, because this is true, because God's word is true and, and I can't trust myself or my desires, I'm going to go against those desires with these truths. And I'm going to pray in secret. That's the antidote. Praying in secret as a result of faith in the truth. So... You know, we just we hear those truths. We, we talk about these things about how to overcome prayerlessness, and we're convinced that we should pray. You know, we're like, okay, that's that's obvious from Scripture. But what exactly should we be talking with God about? That's kind of our next question. How should we approach Him? Our sin our sin actually warps this too, which is, is pretty interesting. How pervasive our sin is, but even our approach to God is often warped by sinful, selfish desires. James says that. Um, you don't have because you don't ask. 
And then when you ask, you ask adulterously. You, you want God to give you all your idols. <laughs> so you're praying and you're asking him for these things. So there's just, we come to God, we don't even know how to pray um, rightly in ourselves. We need God to even tell us that. But thankfully, our Lord is so gracious. And he spelled out how to pray very simply and yet very comprehensively for us in the model prayer that he's given us. So in the 10, 15 minutes we have left, I want us just to think through this prayer together. And I want to be practical with this. I'll I'll briefly explain each element of the prayer. Then I'll show you why this is significant, how profound these things are, why they're relevant for us as believers, and, and how to use them in your prayer life. Okay? So, brings us to our next section, praying the Lord's Prayer. Section number two of our lesson today. Praying the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to give you a few preliminaries about about the Lord's Prayer here. There's two occurrences of of this model prayer in Scripture, and it's in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Matthew 6 and Luke 11. Two different contexts. Matthew 6 is in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's where we'll be today. So if you want to open there, you can. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, is part of Jesus' larger instruction to his disciples about a whole host of areas, prayer being one of them. In Luke 11, Luke 11, so different context, Jesus' disciples, are just, they're just watching him pray, right? He's, he's clearly devoted to prayer, and they're thinking, they're in our boat, they're like, hmm. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, <laughs> uh, can you help us with this? Can you help us learn to pray like you? You know, we've all had that experience. A mentor in our life, we hear them pray and we think, man, if I could pray like that, that would be amazing. Can you help me pray like that? That's the disciples with Jesus. And in his wisdom, God had, a, had him record that. The biblical authors record that for us. So we'll be in Matthew 6 today. You can go ahead and turn there if you're not already there. Matthew chapter 6. And this, this prayer is actually situated in a, in a larger context uh, of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So we'll, we'll read the whole thing, but I want you to notice just some observations here as we, as we read it in, in chapter 6. He'll start with a negative. We're just talking about prayer in this section on prayer. He'll start with a negative, so don't pray like this. He follows it with a positive. Pray like this. Then another negative. Don't pray like this. Then a positive. Pray like this. So, just see that pattern here. Here's the negative. And when you pray, this is verse 5 of chapter 6. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There's the negative. Don't pray hypocritically for men. You you don't don't want to pray to men. (laughs) We want to pray to God, right? So don't pray hypocritically, selfishly. Negative, positive. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. That's the key. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So secret prayer, in other words, is a great way to starve out the praise of men. If you're trying to pray for yourself, if you're not trying to pray for your glory, pray in secret. Don't pray in public. 
you know, starve that out. Because your father, he sees you in secret, he hears you in secret, and you can be sure that you're praying to him in secret, right? And your, your motives are, are being purified. He's not condemning all public prayer or praying with other people. There's other texts that talk about that. The issue is the attitude of your heart in prayer. Who are you praying for and why are you, who are you praying to and why are you praying? That's the issue. Negative positive, right there. He follows it up by another set of negative and positive. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So he's talking to Jews who know the God of Israel. And he's saying, listen, if you just heap up empty phrases to think you can manipulate God, doing what you want by the sheer volume of your praying, you're acting like an unbeliever. They don't know God. They're praying anxiously. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So there, there should be a different way of praying instead of just thinking, if I can just pray for an hour, I can just pray for two hours, three hours, then God will really hear me. And you're just sort of mindlessly repeating things. That's not the issue. That's not what genuine prayer is. He says, don't be like that. Don't think you can manipulate God. Your father loves you. He knows what you need before you ask him. So then here's the positive. Pray like this. So the Lord's prayer is actually a positive that contradicts the way that unbelievers are tempted to pray to their false gods or to God. So the contrast is really the the simplicity of the prayer. The simplicity and the settled confidence of this prayer from Jesus. Now, he says, pray then like this. So he's not just saying, repeat this. The great and tragic irony of the Lord's Prayer is that I grew up playing football in a public high school and we would recite this mindlessly before every football game. Think about the irony of that. He just said, don't do that, right? To think we can sort of invoke God to win the game and repeat this mindlessly. It's just a tragedy, you know, and I just think like how awful that was that I participated in that um, as a, just a young man. Often the Lord's Prayer has been used to sort of mindlessly repeat, to sort of gain God's favor or get his blessing. And that's not the way to use the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray like this, meaning this prayer is a pattern. This prayer is a template. Uh, I like to think of the prayer as like headings of an outline. Does that make sense? So you can fill out that outline in in your prayer. I expand it and apply it at different times and in different situations all around these these kinds of headings. So this prayer really reorients us. It reorients us to God and to his his desires. And we'll explain that in just a moment. So as we work through this, you know, just kind of jot down anything that may be helpful for you. If you need if you need notes or or further resources, just contact me. We can we can talk through it. I can get them to you. So he starts by praying our father in heaven. That's his opening line here. So it's incredibly important that we understand that we come to God and we understand who he is. Jesus wants us to know off the bat and be reminded that we are part of God's family as his children. That's fundamental. We have all the benefits of being in his family through Christ. All he has given to us in Christ is our inheritance. He's our provider. He's our protector. He has responsibility for us. He fiercely cares for us. And he disciplines us for our good, like a a faithful father. 
He knows every detail about each one of us and knows every single need that we have. And as his children, on the other side of this equation, we revere him. We seek to be like him and we strive to obey his desires, just like a faithful child with a father that they adore. So Jesus wants you to realize that out of the gate, through, through his death and resurrection on your behalf, God is now your father. He is no longer your enemy. You're no longer following the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2. Your father, the devil. That has been, he's been defanged. You now belong to God. He is now your father in Christ. And this father is in heaven. He's in heaven. And that's the, the second description here of, of, of this opening phrase in the Lord's Prayer. Our father in heaven. Now, what's Jesus getting at when he, when he talks about the father being in heaven? It could either be referring to God's place of holiness and perfection, which it is. He's a perfect father, in other words. Or it could be the place of God's throne as an expression of his rule and his control over everything. I think the answer is yes. Okay, I think it's both of those ideas here are at play. He's our perfect father. He knows what we need. He's not going to make any mistakes. And he's in full control of everything. He's in heaven. Now, right out of the gate, this is a helpful reminder to me of the character of God as my father. It's a reminder of his commitment to me as my father. It's a reminder to me that the very reason he's my father is through the Lord Jesus, right? The rehearsal of the gospel. And it's a reminder to me of his sovereign power. In other words, it reorients me to who I'm praying to before I ever pray. See the heading? I mean, take off with that, okay? Here's how I use it. I often rehearse back to God what he's like as my perfect, i.e. heavenly father. I often rehearse back to him why and how he is my father through the gospel. And I say that reaffirm that I believe this today. I often thank him for taking the initiative to become my father, etc., etc. I mean, you could, just, you could just take off with this. So that's, that's just the opening, guys. And now these first three requests are, are particularly reorienting. They focus exclusively on God's glory, his kingdom, and his desires, or his will, before we ever get to asking for anything about us, even though his glory, his kingdom, and his will are the best things for us. They're what we should be asking for, and Jesus knows that. So, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name is the first request on our Savior's lips. It's most central to his heart. It's his very desires. I mean, if you boil it down, hallowed be your name. It's it's what he desires. So what does this mean? You could phrase it like this. May your name be revered. Your name meaning who you are, your character. May your name be revered. May the world perceive the glory of your character. That's at the heart of Jesus. He wants the world to know the glory of God. Now, this is so helpful because it's not even on our radars a lot of the time. It reorients us to the, the reigning desire of our Lord's heart that God receive his due glory from his creation. The world is his. Human beings are his. Unbeliever, believer alike. Everything belongs to him and exists for his glory. And it reminds us of the present blindness of the world. We cannot see the glory of God apart from God hallowing his name. We're asking God to do this. Revere, make your name, cause your name to be revered. And he uses our prayers to this end to accomplish it. 
And now I use that. I'm going to start with you, right? When you, when you pray this prayer, Lord, sanctify your name in my life. May my desires, may this be the foremost of my desires. I often repent here in the prayer because that's not my desires. And it, it's like a, it's just like a, I can feel the Lord, I feel, I know the Lord is sort of like taking my insides and just going like this and like rearranging me from the inside out as I pray this prayer. May your name be revered. May that be the, 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 the reigning desire of my heart. And then, and then in your areas of responsibility, you kind of build that out. Okay, so may your name be revered in me, through me. May your name be revered in my family if you have one, in my dorm room, in my apartment, in my areas of influence, in my job. So we want to see the Lord's glory expand. And similarly with the next two phrases here, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come. What is he praying? Jesus wants the full realization of God's kingdom on the earth and commands us to pray for it. So in other words, I go from the back, you know, from the future to the present. He's praying for his own. He's telling us to pray for his return and the establishment of his kingdom on earth. And that's when his will would be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. Again, these reigning desires of, of our Lord. And again, there's often repentance here because we want to we want to graduate. We want to get the job. We want to we want to have children. We want to see our children grow up. We want to be part of our grandkids lives. We want to, you know. Fill in the blank. Yeah, we want Christ to return, but we want these other things too. And I'm often here saying, Lord, that's where I'm at. Forgive me. Open my mind to help me understand the glory of your kingdom. How it's surpassing, it's surpassing greatness. So I can be devoted to that all the days of my life. May I prioritize that. Again, it's, it's reorienting me to those desires. And similar with your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's reorienting us to God's desires, to God's moral will. And again, I start with me and then I work out. May your will be done in my heart, in my life. So this is where I find the particular areas I'm struggling with in becoming obedient to Christ progressively. And I lay those before the Lord. Help me, Lord. Pray with Mary, my wife, at night before I go to bed because I struggle to do that. Help me, Lord, grow in my affirmation and encouragement of my wife and the people around me because I struggle to do that. Those are two areas that I'm praying for on a consistent basis right now. I'm laying that before the Lord because that's His will for me. And I need Him to help me in that. I'm dependent on Him. And then as I, as I build that out in my family, Lord, may Your will be accomplished in my family, my, my areas of influence. May You use me to make people more obedient to You in these areas. This is where I intercede for people. Again, I'm interceding for people to ask the Lord to make them mature in Christ, uh, laboring for them. It's, it's all in this. May your will be done. That's the reigning desire. May they do your will. And now we get to some specific needs, which is what we're pretty good at, right? <laughs> at least this one. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This is our, our daily pressing needs. Particularly, I would say, those things that tempt us toward anxiety. Right? The Gentiles seek these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Just a few verses later in, in this, this chapter. Your daily needs. Particularly those things that tempt us toward anxiety. 
And this is so helpful because it reminds us that, that God is concerned with his glory, but he's also concerned with a daily, my bread today, the, the meal that I'm going to eat or that I may not eat because I, I may not get it. So I, I need to pray to God for my daily needs. And it reminds me he's concerned for these needs. He knows everyone that I have and he's committed to taking care of me. But he wants me to ask him to supply those needs. And he delights in providing for my needs as I seek his kingdom first. So, I mean, this is, this is obviously, I usually start here by thanking God for what he has provided already. Um, because I'm typically thankless. How many of you asked the Lord to provide your meal today? Nobody. How many of you assumed that you would eat today? Everybody. So, on the baseline, there's a level of ingratitude in our hearts. The Lord knows about that already, so I often just start by thanking him. Okay, I didn't even ask you for this meal, and you provided it. And this is the time where I lay my burdens out before the Lord and ask him for my pressing needs, the things that are, that are weighing on my heart. And I commit myself to his, to his purpose in these hard situations, to these pressing needs. However, he chooses to answer them and say, Lord, I think you should answer them this way. But I'm going to lay it out before you. Not my will be done, but yours. Other, other request, you know. So, pressing needs. Next request, forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Again, we're asking for forgiveness, cleansing, not necessarily, although if, you, if you've never asked for that, you can ask for that in the Lord's Prayer. This is a, for a disciple who's asking for a, a, a cleansing of, of daily sin that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Maintains, in order to maintain our communion with Him, not to, not to establish our union. Does this make sense? And this is so helpful because it's a reminder that, that indwelling sin is still in my life and it's a threat and I need daily cleansing. It's a reminder that God stands ready to cleanse and restore no matter the debt. And it's a reminder that as we appeal to God for forgiveness, God demands that we also forgive others of their debt. We can't appeal to God and withhold forgiveness from other people. So it's, it's reorienting. Even in this request, it's reorienting us back to God. Anything else, if we appeal to God for forgiveness and we are unwilling to forgive another person, this is hypocrisy. And he knows that, so that's why he incorporates this into this prayer. And again, I just use this to bring up sin patterns in my life, to remind me of them, because it's amazing how quickly I forget that I struggle with sin. Uh, I bring these up before the Lord, ask Him to, to cleanse me in these areas. And that's, pretty, that's pretty self-explanatory. And rejoicing over the Lord and His promise to cleanse. And then last, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this one's a little tricky. To understand, could God lead us into temptation? Is that something we really have to pray against? That's not, I don't think, the issue here. Lead us, he negates it, not into temptation. So there's a positive way of saying it. He says it negatively. There's a positive way of saying it. Lead us into righteousness. Right? Lead us into righteousness. And he kind of gets at that idea here. Deliver us from evil. So it's, it's freighted in the negative, knowing that we're tempted with temptation. We're weak. We're frail. We need God's preserving influence in our life. And we need his ultimate deliverance from evil or the evil one. 
That's what we need. And he tells us to pray for it. Again, how how much is this on your radar? Do you pray, Lord, I'm going to be tempted in this area. Please help me preserve me from this. Um, It's typically not in our our vocabulary, but it's helpful. It helps us to think through the circumstances of our lives that are going to be tempting. Ask for God's particular strength in those areas. And it puts our eyes on the final day when God's going to deliver, when his kingdom is going to come. And he is going to deliver us from evil because he's committed to us. And it, it fuels our hope. So again, we just, we just quickly skim through all of this. It's raining. People probably need to get through here. So we're going to land the, we're going to land the plane uh, kind of abruptly right now. But I want to encourage you to memorize this prayer. Memorize it. Not to recite it mindlessly. Memorize it for the headings so that you can pray through this whether or not you have a Bible. It will be the, one of the most beneficial things that you do over the summer. I can promise you that. It will reorient you um, and practice it in secret. Expand the headings with other particular things to rehearse and ask the Lord. If you've got questions, I know we flew through that. If you've got questions, talk to me afterwards. Um, I'd be glad to, to talk with you. I am working to do this consistently. I don't do this consistently. So we can pray for each other in this that we'll, we'll grow up into everything that the Lord has for us.